Hi, I'm Douglas Haynes, your Monday host of A Public Affair. We love creating this public space for in-depth conversations about education, ecology, food, and so much more. To keep these conversations going, we need your support. Go to wortfm.org slash donate. Thank you. Six foot six above sea level. I grab the mic because I like to take you to another mental level. Low power frequency radio. Welcome to a public affair. I'm your Monday host, Douglas Haynes. It's great to be back with you on the air today after a few weeks away. And I'm joined in the studio today by my wart colleague, Sarah Gabler who hosted a great public affairs show a couple of weeks ago and will be helping kick off our winter pledge drive with me today. Now's the time when we ask our community to help continue making this show and all of the wonderful WART programming possible. If you can, please do give us a call today at 608-256-2001, extension 1, to make a donation. Or you can donate online and click that big orange button in the upper right-hand corner at www.wortfm.org. On today's show, we're going to celebrate and discuss one of the innovative contributions to Wisconsin land and culture that you regularly hear about here on A Public Affair. You might be a little surprised to hear me say innovative and hazelnuts in the same breath, but our guest today will tell us all about how this new Wisconsin crop can diversify our diets and local agriculture while also storing carbon to mitigate climate change. So here with us today, we have Jason Fishbach. Jason is an Emerging Crops Outreach Specialist with the University of Wisconsin-Madison Division of Extension. Since 2007, he's worked to develop a commercially viable native hazelnut through the Upper Midwest Hazelnut Development Initiative. Welcome to A Public Affair, Jason. And we also have with us Paul Ronsheim, who is the owner of Blue Mound Hazelnuts in Barneveld, Wisconsin. A retired materials scientist, he applies his expertise to pressing hazelnut oil and milling hazelnut flour. He is one of 30 members of the American Hazelnut Company in Gaze Mills, Wisconsin. And welcome to A Public Affair, Paul. Glad to be here, yeah, Douglas. Thanks for being with us. And welcome, listeners. We'd love for you to join our conversation today. If you have a question about native hazelnut trees, eating hazelnuts, or an experience with them to share, please do give us a call at 608-256-2001. And the extension, if you'd like to ask a question, is extension 9. You can also call, of course, to donate. That's uh, 608-256-2001, extension 1. We have uh, Amy, our receptionist out there, waiting to help you out, as well as our um, pledge drive call takers. I believe Mary Lou is out there with us today, and we thank you both for helping us out today. So, Jason, we're going to get started with you today. You've been working on developing this tree, which is a native Midwestern tree, but has not been commercially viable as a crop. Um, tell us about the Midwestern hazelnut tree and your efforts to develop it since uh, 2007. Yeah, you bet. So all over northern Wisconsin, northern Minnesota, there's a plant called American hazelnut, Corylus americana. It's been with us since the glaciers left. And some people go out and will harvest. The nuts are perfectly edible. Um, but they, the, the yields aren't very high. 
and the uh, kernel from those nuts are really small. So uh, by themselves, they really don't perform well enough to be a commercial crop, right? Um, so the other species that's out there, not in the Midwest, but in Europe, is called uh, European hazelnut, Corlys avalana. And it has really nice size uh, nut production and, and good yields, but it's not winter hardy for our reg region. And it's or it's susceptible to a disease that's endemic to our region called Eastern filbert blight. So, so there's all kinds of great cultivars of European hazelnut out there, but they don't work in our, our community or in our, our region. So they're between pr private breeders and some public efforts over the years, the attempt has been to cross the two. To, to produce what we call hybrid hazelnuts. So it's crossed between American hazelnut, European hazelnut. And the hope is you get the best, best from both species. And that's what uh, early adopter growers like Paul have been growing here for the last few decades. And um, what we've been working with, with those hybrid populations to select really nice cultivars or seed lines that growers can use that can actually support commercial production, both for homeowners to eat, but also to, to build a, a nut industry in the upper Midwest, which might surprise you as diverse as Wisconsin agriculture is, we don't have a nut industry, which is too bad because last or in 2020, farmers realized 10, over $10 billion in farm gate revenue. In Wisconsin and Minnesota, we don't participate in that economy hardly at all. So hazelnuts has the potential to change that. So when we talk about Midwest hazelnuts, that that's what we're talking about. Very early still, we still have you know a lot of small producers, but really no big industry to talk about. But we're getting there. Yeah, thanks for that intro, Jason. And uh, I noticed when you were talking about, I think it was diseases, you mentioned the word filbert. Um, and I think we should clarify, right? Because uh, these are also commercially known as filberts. And filberts and hazelnuts are the same same thing, right? Yep, same thing. And really, we're just trying to use the term hazelnut because uh, it sounds better than filbert from a branding standpoint. Okay. So the whole industry is trying to get away from that yep. the old word of filbert. And in Europe, are uh, hazelnuts sort of widely available and, and used in, in culinary um They are, yeah. Sort of, yeah. Think of hazelnuts in Europe as peanuts in the U.S. or almonds in the U.S. That's their that's their go-to nut. And it you see it everywhere in, in Europe, northern Europe, southern Europe. Eastern, Western, uh, it's just a main part of their, their culture, particularly in Turkey, Italy, and Spain. Okay, so thanks for, for giving us that foundation, Jason. I'm gonna turn to you, Paul, and tell us a little bit about what drew you to growing hazelnuts uh, as a farmer. Well, when I moved out to Wisconsin, I had a, uh, 12 acres of an eroded hilltop. Uh, it had been used for farming for generations. Uh, most of the topsoil was gone. And I wanted to see if I could get a tree crop permaculture uh, established there, given that it was depleted soil, very thin soil, actually, uh, kind of a challenge for trees. I looked at other crops like uh, hops or, or berry fruit. Um, and for this land, this seemed like a, a sort of an innovative way to use this land. <clears throat> it's a little bit marginal. You'd prefer to plant your hazelnuts on decent soil, uh, but, but it was an experiment to see if I could generate something here and make a model for more commercial production. So tell us a little bit more than Paul uh, about how you got started 
um, where you found the trees, and in the meantime, what has evolved there on your farm? Sure. So <clears throat> around 2012, I started looking around in Minnesota and Wisconsin to see what I could plant might be successful with. And I found a couple of breeders of hazelnut hybrids. I'm the Midwest crossed with the European. Um, they were offering them as a permaculture, not so much a production crop, but as a uh, way to add carbon to the soil and prevent runoff. <clears throat> so, uh, but there were a number of people doing that, doing small plantings, and I wanted to make more of a pilot plot for a pilot commercialization. So I, I laid it out in, in rows with end space so the tractor can turn and laid it out as if I was really going to make some money with this, given the right cultivar to plant. And uh, you mentioned permaculture there, Paul. Can you clarify exactly for folks um, what you're talking about when you talk about permaculture? Sure. So it's like the difference between soybeans and trees. Uh, permaculture is where you plant um, your crop, but it stays there every year, collecting sunlight for you know seven months out of the year instead of four, like a row crop would. Uh, <clears throat> and you're growing wood. You have... Uh, roots underground, you have your plant above the ground. It's very different from a soybean field. And I, I keep coming back to the soybean field, that both crops provide protein and oil, but the hazelnut crop stays in the ground, does not need plowing, you do not open up the soil again. And so it's really uh, beneficial for <clears throat> improving the soil. We'll talk about the nuts themselves in a little while and their uses, but... Um... Give us a sense, Paul, as you walk through the rows of these hazelnut trees. Um, how big are the trees? What does it feel like to be among them? And is there lots of other life there coexisting with them as well? Oh, yes. It's, it's a very fun orchard. So they're planted in dense hedgerows so that you can do an over-the-top uh, harvesting, a straddle harvester. So they're in dense hedgerows to sort of maximize the, the yield. <clears throat> and when you walk in between, they're about 12 feet high, and they really protect you from the sun. In fact, if the rows are too close, it's hard to squeeze through. So it's quite a bushy planting. Uh, does very well in drought or, or harsh weather. Very, very resilient. The, uh, the wildlife uh, thing is really kind of amazing with hazelnuts. So if you walk through a, an annual row crop field, you know, there's really nothing going on except those plants. At harvest time in a hazelnut field, you reach your hand in there to pull out, uh, you know, some nut clusters. And out with it comes walking sticks. You see tree frogs, huge um, moth caterpillars, old uh, uh, bird nests from, from the spring, katydids. I mean, it's just, the fields come alive when you plant these hazelnuts. And you get a nut crop and you provide all this wildlife habitat. And, you know, Paul's comments about the difference between a hazelnut field and a soybean field is so important because where the innovation comes in is we're, I would say, as, a, as an agricultural community, really trying to change the model, change the ethos to sort of dual purpose crops where you have crops that um, provide all the wildlife habitat, the water quality filtration, uh, everything that we want from our, our lands and produce income for for farmers right and food and fiber and everything that we need we can do that but not always with the existing species that we have to work with right so this is where 
coming up with new crops, new opportunities is so important. And I think we'll see more and more of this going forward in the future. It's really the only means to solve these um, ecosystem challenges that we've got out there right now in the agricultural landscape. So it's so exciting to have folks like Paul be out there and, and take these risks and do this kind of work. Absolutely. Thank you, Jason. I love the way you describe that as sort of an, an ethos that you're trying to change in agriculture, that it's not just about uh, growing a uh, commercially viable crop, but that there are so many other impacts on the landscape and, and culture more broadly that agriculture has, and that with these hazelnuts, you're, you're thinking about all of those impacts as you're developing this new agricultural crop. We're going to talk more about that in a few minutes, but I'm going to turn it over to my colleague Sarah Gabler now to talk more about the ethos of WORT and what we're trying to do here on Community Radio, uh, not just here in Madison, but reaching out to Barneveld, to, to your community out there, west of Madison, Paul, and all around the southern part of the state. So uh, what are we trying to do here at WORT, and how can folks help out, Sarah? Yeah, we are here um, trying to teach you about trees <laughs> and about culinary culture and all the things that make life in Wisconsin vibrant and so full of life. And um, I have good news. We have a donation awesome. already this hour. Thank you to Anonymous for calling in, showing your support of WART, for showing your support of a public affair for this show that we're, we're on right now. And if you want to call in with a donation, you can give us a ring at 608-256-2001. And the extension is extension one. Um, call in and show some support for a public affair, a show that I really love because it allows us to go deep to take these deep dives into issues that affect us all, um, like foodways, like agriculture in the state, trees, the things that fill our lives. Yeah, that's something I really enjoy highlighting here on, on the Monday show. And uh, and you highlighted as well a couple of weeks ago, Sarah, talking about the weather and the roles that uh, media play in helping us understand not only what's happening with the weather, but climate more broadly. And as you said, you could take a real deep dive in that show a couple of weeks ago and tell us about the challenges weather forecasters are facing as they talk about climate change, which I'm sure will come up in this show as well today, talking about agriculture and, and perennial tree crops. Climate is always there and something we always try to thread mm -hmm. through our coverage of uh, land and people issues. And you can't do that when you're just scratching the surface, right? You can't explore those deep connections to agriculture, biodiversity, as my guest Jason Fishbach was just talking about. You can't do that when you only have uh, sound bites or a three-minute story. Um, but here on A Public Affair, we really are able to, to go deep, as you said. Yeah, and we can keep it super local as well. Folks want to know about what's happening in their backyard. I reported a, a couple weeks ago on um, the effect that the bus rapid transit system in Madison is going to have on some trees. And folks really care about their trees here in Madison. Thank you, Madisonians. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So um, if you enjoy that kind of coverage, that deep coverage of what is happening in your local landscape, whether it be on your block, whether it be in the farm fields uh, surrounding Madison, and farther afield yet, uh, please do show your support. Give us a call at 608-256-2001, extension 1, or you can donate online at wrt 
fm.org within the big orange donate button uh, up there on the banner of the website. And I know there's lots of great swag on there available for donations. We'll tell you more about that maybe next time around here. But uh, thank you again to our anonymous donor at this hour. We're hoping to hear from a few more of you as we go. You're listening to A Public Affair on WORT 89.9 FM Madison. My name is Douglas Haynes, and I'm talking today with Jason Fishbach and Paul Ronsheim about the growing and eating of hazelnuts in the upper mid West and efforts to develop uh, hazelnuts as a commercial, widespread commercial crop that helps preserve uh, biodiversity, conserve biodiversity, mitigate climate change, and all kinds of other great benefits. Um, and you have a, a commercial effort going. We'll turn back to you, Paul, to tell us about the American Hazelnut Company and the hazelnut food products you're working on. Let's start with a little bit of the history of this company and what it was like to try to get a new crop off the ground commercially. So, sure, American Hazelnut Company started in uh, 2014. A number of growers got together and tried to organize uh, a company that would develop products and market them because people were planting hazelnuts and other than farmers markets didn't really have anywhere to turn with them. So that was the beginning. It was just a few growers, 10 maybe, uh, starting out and they had very low supply. Really didn't have enough product to launch into a major marketing. So, but as the years went on, people's uh, orchards began to mature such as mine, after eight years, I was getting a thousand pounds a year. And so I joined up with American Hazelnut to get an outlet for my crop. And I found that the market needed development. And so I was able to pitch in and help with the product development, specifically the oil pressing and the flour grinding um, to develop a a mature, uh, desirable consumer product. Yeah, so let's talk so we've about been working on that. Oh, go ahead, Paul. So we've been working on that and also developing the marketing, trying to get a brand established for this Midwest uh, hazelnut hybrid. Okay, and so these are now commercially available, right? Where can people find products from the American Hazelnut Company? So, so we have some of them for sale in area supermarkets such as Metcalf's. Um, in Madison, uh, but we also sell on our website, AmericanHazelnutCompany.com. Uh, but we also sell to restaurateurs and 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 bakeries for use in their products. Yeah, so let's talk a little bit more about uh, how folks are using them. Um, what does the hazelnut itself taste like? This particular variety that you've developed here in the Midwest and what are some of those uh, more specific culinary uses? Jason, do you want to to add anything about the uses of the uh, Midwestern hazelnut? Yeah. So if you've ever had a raw roasted hazelnut, right, it probably came from Turkey. So Midwest hazelnuts, I like to think of it as a hazelnut and then some. The flavor is just way more intense. The aroma is more intense. Uh, And really it's the the opportunity to eat a fresh hazelnut that hasn't been sitting in a truck or a shipping container for months on end coming from Turkey, 
right? That's that's what makes them taste so good. Um, they're about 60% oil by weight. That oil is oleic acid, which is the same oil that's in hazelnut or uh, olive oil, which is what makes it so healthy. Uh, it's got tons of vitamin K, uh, high protein content. So it really is sort of a superfood. Uh, and um, where we're seeing the most popularity, not surprisingly, is just the plain raw or roasted hazelnut. Just because when people eat those for the first time and taste what a fresh real hazelnut tastes like, they're just blown away, right? Um, but of course, they're popular mixed with chocolate, as anyone had Nutella knows. Um, and then oil and flour, uh, it, you know, we've got folks in Minneapolis, Beth Dooley, who's a food connoisseur and, and uh, does a lot of public speaking about food, just loves the hazelnut oil as an alternative to olive oil. It's got a similar fatty acid profile, but it's got a, a higher smoke point. So it's got more use in the kitchen. And then the flour, anyone who's looking for, you know, to bump up protein in their uh, baked goods, hazelnut flour is a great, great use there too. But really, again, uh, if we had enough supply, um, I think all the American hazelnut company would sell is 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 uh, kernel because that's what consumers just seem to love. Uh, the hazelnut company also has a snackers line, which adds some flavoring. So there's a spiced maple and a roasted rosemary and a, and a salted. So, uh, you know, that neutral oil really lends itself well to adding some additional flavors to it, like we've done with chocolate, you know, for years. But now some of these other more unique flavors. And I think the hazelnut company, too, is, you know, working with its consumers to figure out what other products. Um, we all have what's called almond fatigue maybe right we, that's pretty much the only nut we eat is almonds walnuts sometimes and so the fact that consumers now potentially have a, another option is just eye-opening to consumers so they're excited to see what other products are possible does uh demand outstrip supply at this point um you mentioned oh, yeah. you know that there there aren't enough producers yeah and unfortunately for the american hazelnut company they actually have to ration their supply right so you don't want to develop a market and then have them run out halfway through the year. But with the limited supply, that's kind of what they have to do is, is just pick a limited number of markets, make sure that they've got enough for the full year and then everybody else has to wait. So we need more production for sure. And so what does that look like at this stage? What are the obstacles and the potentials for expanding production? How do you reach out to farmers to make this happen? Propagation, propagation, propagation. Um, so hazelnuts are clonally propagated and it's not like uh, willow for those of you that have you know grown willow from cuttings or aronia or something you stick a stem in the ground it grows roots in it and it grows hazelnuts don't work that way they really don't like to be uh, vegetatively propagated so it's slow we've got to use all kinds of tricks and things to do it so until we can speed that up you know it's going to be a, a relatively slow process for growers to uh, to get access to the material. Now they can always grow plants from seed and we see a lot of that, but when you grow a plant from seed, it's going every plant's going to be different, which is in some ways good, but um, in some ways it makes it a challenge if they're ripening at totally different times and some of those plants aren't going to do very well at all. Others will do great. So there's just a, a, a big mix that sometimes makes it hard for commercial production, which is why most growers are waiting for the, uh, the, the uh, vegetatively propagated plants. And so that's our main bottleneck. Yeah. Really, nothing else is in the way right now. Do growers themselves do the vegetated propagation, or is can you buy them from a you know a seed house? Yeah, at this point, growers can. Uh, there's some low tech processes. One's called stool bed or mound bed layering, 
our um, mine layering. Um, but otherwise, we're we've our our project has um, contracted with I think we're up to five nurseries now to work on um, the propagation and get plants out to growers. But it'll be you know 2025 probably until folks can can start placing orders for these new genetics. Mm-hmm. When you talk to farmers, Paul, uh, do you get interest or skepticism from them about your efforts there with hazelnuts in your neighborhood out there in Barneveld? Well, the corn and soybean guys, yeah, they are pretty surprised. Uh, they don't recognize them that, that they're hazelnuts at first. And then they do. Yeah, oh, well, yeah, I've seen those in my woods. Uh, uh, but they're pretty skeptical that we would actually be making money. When you think about soybeans in 1910, uh, it wasn't a very promising crop either. It took some maturation, some development of the technology for harvest and so on before it became uh, an obvious uh, agricultural path. So we're early, but uh, I think we're making good progress. With the genetics that Jason's working on, we're pretty excited. As growers, we're pretty excited about the future. Yeah. Um... This is a, a really fascinating story. And again, I'm going to turn it back to Sarah Gabler here uh, to talk about the kinds of stories we decide to talk about here on A Public Affair and the freedom we have to highlight um, things that draw our attention, innovative things in the local landscape and agriculture and food, but in all kinds of other ways as well, Sarah. Um, what do you see happening with A Public Affair and other shows here on Wart that you don't see elsewhere? Yeah, well, I think we can do such interesting shows here at WRT because we're an independent station. We are not owned by a billionaire who dictates our coverage. We don't have to meet um, anyone's standards but our standards. What our, what our listeners want to hear about. And I think we, we take your feedback and we bring it, bring it to you on these shows. Like a public affair where, I mean, Douglas, you, you've covered a lot of environmental topics. That's one thing that I really enjoy about this show is that we can take a deep dive into how climate change is impacting Wisconsin. It's not just some amorphous thing somewhere else where the glaciers are melting. No, it's in our backyard and people need to know. We need to, we need to know about this. Um, so we can talk about how that's impacting local agriculture, how that's impacting this the trees and in our neighborhoods. And the show that you did a while back with the city arborist, um, talking about how the city of Madison is trying to plant trees that are going to weather climate change. Um, so we can still have a canopy here. And um, so in my role here at Wart, I, um, I'm a reporter for the local news. I sub sometimes for Douglas on this show. And between the short coverage of like, you know, a five minute story on the local news to the longer form journalism here on a public affair, um, we get a lot of coverage. Wouldn't you say, Douglas? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm really glad you mentioned um, the feedback we get from Mm -hmm. listeners. Uh, It encourages me to do shows like this show on hazelnuts because I get so much feedback from listeners that you appreciate hearing about food and agriculture here in Wisconsin and farther afield as well. And that hopefully I can bring you angles on food and agriculture that you're not necessarily going to find in-depth coverage of elsewhere. 
and that keeps me going that that makes me think well people are really enjoying this appreciating this we should we should keep going like we did a, a summer garden show yesterday or excuse me last summer that got all kinds of uh call in and great feedback and and seems like every time we talk about food people are excited so we're gonna keep that going and we can only keep it going for you here on wrt at a public affair if you support us this uh, station is run entirely by community support and volunteers here at the station. And uh, you can do so by giving us a call at 608-256-2001, extension 1, or you can donate online at www.wortfm.org and click on that orange banner and i'm going to turn it back to sarah gabler here to tell us a little bit more about the gifts uh, our appreciation that you can receive for your donations yeah if you show wart some love we can show you some love back i'm a huge fan of the wart embroidered patch I've got one on my backpack. It's a microphone and dazzling orange with a black background that reads Wart 89.9 FM. Um, it's super cool. If you put that on your jacket, you'll be uh, you'll be promoting us all day long. <laughs> and that that's available to you at the $35 level. But we also have some really cool new swag at the $120 pledge level if you want to get a Wart hoodie. Be another weirdo for Wart. That's our theme this <laughs> pledge drive. So be weirdos like Douglas and I. <laughs> Wear your Wart swag. Give us a call. Thanks, Sarah. Yep. Um, we will make sure you get appreciated if you appreciate us. Um, and of course, we appreciate you all year long here. We're doing Wart's uh, Winter Pledge Drive. Maybe we could call it a Spring Pledge Drive. It sure feels like spring today. Daffodils popping up outside the front door of the studio here on Bedford Street in Madison. Lots of birds showing up that weren't here last week. Red winged blackbirds are back. Robins are back. And we're going to talk about climate now a little bit with my guest today, Jason Fischbach, uh, UW-Madison Extension Agricultural Scientist, and Paul Ronsheim, uh, owner of Blue Mound Hazelnuts. And we're talking about hazelnuts, and we'll expand that conversation here now to talk a little bit about tree crops more broadly and, and climate change in Wisconsin and the benefits of tree crops for climate change. I'll turn it back to you, Jason. Uh, and I know this is something Paul talked about at the outset of one reason he got into hazelnuts is he wanted to do something local for the climate. Tell us about tree crops and what the relationship is between tree crops and mitigating climate change. Yeah, so we think about resilience and we think about mitigation, right? So resilience, uh, if we're gonna be facing more frequent and more intense storm events, like we've been seeing, then the way to protect soil is to put roots in the ground and leave them there, right? So perennial crops in general are a key part of resilience to try to protect our, our soils. Hazelnuts do that. They put out a, a thick, fibrous, and deep root system that really holds that ground. And I think Paul will attest when it rains on his field, you know, it's clean water. If anything leaves the field, most of it soaks right down into the ground. So that's, that's what we want. Then in terms of mitigation, uh, those roots are doing something else important, and that's fixing carbon and putting that carbon back into the into the ground. Also, the overall um, carbon intensity, the CI index, if you will, uh, on a perennial crop tends to be lower because you have fewer inputs. You have fewer externalities, you have fewer uh, 
carbon inputs, which means that uh, that that agricultural system or that land, if it's not carbon neutral, at least it has a much lower carbon footprint than some other crops. So that's why hazelnuts or tree and tree crops are so important. That's why we're seeing a lot of momentum right now around agroforestry. How do we integrate uh, trees in our crop fields to uh, deliver both resilience and and uh, mitigation? What are some other trees that Wisconsin and Farmers and farmers in the upper Midwest are exploring now as uh, commercially viable crops, Jason, in addition to hazelnuts. Yeah, so there's the wood pulp crop of hybrid poplar, which is basically just cottonwood, right? Used to be called hybrid poplar more and more. It's, it's, it's cottonwood. So these are fast growing tree species that are, you know, early successional species that you can put out on um, reverting ag lanes. You know, if you go in northern Wisconsin, agriculture is not doing so great. We see a lot of fields coming out of production. And so putting in a crop like hybrid poplar or cottonwood is, is an option. You've got a market for wood fiber um, and it's a great way to, to put carbon in, in the ground, right? So that's one. Food, food wise is where it's getting pretty exciting. So another one is chestnuts, um, a, a similar hybrid approach to, mm -hmm. to deal with blight issues, but chestnuts um, and then a range of new fruit crops that are emerging, elderberry, aronia, currants. Some of these are pretty old. Um, but as we sort of diversify our palate and look for more nutrition from our berry crops rather than just sweetness all the time, we should start to see more uh, demand for 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 other uh, shrub or woody type fruit crops. Yeah, um, that's exciting. Are there other crops that you're also exploring, Paul? Or are you pretty much all in on the hazelnuts right now? Yeah, my choice was to focus on hazelnuts uh, <clears throat> and uh, just try to do that one right. Talking about climate change, mm -hmm. when you go out in my orchard now, they're preparing to pollinate. The catkins are elongating, and the flowers, are, they have this small crimson flower that's starting to come out. It's fascinating to watch, but it's also alarming this year. It's two weeks early, two weeks, maybe 10 days, but a significant jump forward with this warm winter we've had. Is this the earliest you've ever seen them, Paul, in the time that you've been growing the hazelnuts? Yes, yes. In my experience, this is the earliest. Now, I have more familiarity with fruit trees, and I know with apples, for example, it can be a real, real problem for the whole crop if things get going too early, if those blossoms set too early. Do you have similar challenges with hazelnuts, Paul, if things get going too early? Uh, they can be disrupted. Uh, if it gets really, you know, much below 20 degrees, um, the catkins can fail. But they're a very hardy bush, so it has to go below 20 degrees Fahrenheit to really do any damage to the crop. And we typically have a surplus of pollen, so loss of some catkins is not a big deal either. The flower is, I've never seen real problems with the flower unless they don't get pollinated at all. The flower is very durable. <clears throat> so actually we go through, you know, these sudden freezes and so on, like in two nights it's going to get down to 16 again uh it, they they survive that stuff very well and who are the pollinators typically on the hazelnut trees oh the wind the wind does it all there's okay. no insects out this time of year so they got to use the wind uh, so pollination generally not not an issue then no yeah that's great um Jason was talking about a minute ago about inputs, Paul. Um, and just to clarify, these are things like fertilizer, 
potentially insecticides or pesticides. Um, what kind of inputs do you have to use there to get hazelnuts going and then sustain production? Uh, so initially I, I use irrigation uh, when they were very small. Um, so that was an input having that running. I did some fertilization early on, but they don't need much in the first three to four years. Um, and I've actually tapered off my, uh, fertilization use of uh, chemicals, uh, uh, because they're doing fine on their own. And Jason, can they be grown using kind of purely organic methods? As of now. Yeah. Uh, the nice thing about, um, woody plants in general is they tend to tightly conserve their nutrients. They'll send the nitrogen and their leaves back down into the root system and reuse it the next year. So really you're just replacing what gets shipped out in the, uh, in the nuts themselves. And that usually can be replaced uh, with, a, with a nitrogen fixing crop like a clover or something in the alleyways that's, that's just mowed in place. So you can organically do it just fine. Now we'll see what emerges for insect pests in the coming years. We're sort of in that honeymoon phase where there's not a lot of production on the landscape. And so the pest populations haven't built, but we're going into this new crop way better positioned with IPM strategies. So actually scouting for insect pests, actually understanding the beneficial pest complexes that are out there so that the last resort, the absolute last resort is some chemical intervention, whether it's organically approved or not. We just don't want that input, input cost of having to spray something, whatever it is. And we can do a lot of that with IPM work. So that's the exciting part is we're just entering this new crop way better positioned than you know farmers were 30 years ago even. Uh, IPM stands for Integrated Pest Management, right, Jason? Correct. So you're yeah. talking about uh, ways to like reduce uh, pesticide use, for example, just through observing, knowing what's going on, what uh, insects or potential pests or diseases are, are present, and figuring out kind of long-term approaches to them. Um, That's right. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, sort of the old model is broad spectrum, spray down the whole orchard and kill everything, <laughs> uh -huh. right? which works, but it's very old and it's very uh, harsh. It's very uh, hazardous to both the environment and the user. So now when you know exactly what your pest is and when it's most susceptible to an intervention, um, then with newer reduced risk pesticides, both organic or otherwise, you can target a species at a particular time if you have to. Um, and so you have a much lower impact overall on your on your system so again that's not the goal though right the goal is to try to to make sure we don't have pest populations building in general and that's where these beneficial insect pests or insect populations aren't so important so actually getting out there and understanding what's in these hazelnut plantings is so important instead of just blindly spraying whatever which of course is much easier to do when you're talking about a relatively small scale farm like like yours there paul uh i forget exactly how many acres you have there in hazelnuts, I have six acres. Six acres, so it's definitely yeah. walkable. Yes, you can go out there and explore, and the insect world is amazing out there. Um, but they do seem to keep each other in check. The filbert worm has just not increased in my in my harvest. Uh, I think because of the beneficials out there. I have not been using any pesticide. 
I'm going to turn it back to uh, my colleague here, Sarah Gabler, in the studio to talk a little bit more about Pledge Drive. But first, we also have a question from one of our donors for Jason and Paul today. Well, we have two donations. I'll get to that in a second. One of our donors, Patty Peltekas, I'm sorry if I pronounced that incorrectly, but Patty has a question about recipes. Does the American Hazelnut Company or do you, Paul or Jason, have a favorite recipe that you use that you'd be willing to share with listeners to to get us all on board? It's a great question. And thanks, Patty, for listening and for, for <laughs> donating. Uh, Paul or Jason, which yeah, one do you I've want to go one. first? There's yeah. a... <laughs> There's a, an espresso um, hazelnut shortbread where the hazelnut flour is used to give a warm, buttery flavor uh, and, uh, and protein content uh, to, to a shortbread cookie. And it's just a, a nice pairing. You can dip them in chocolate. And the chocolate with the hazelnut flour is, is really a nice uh, expression, nice flavor. I've got three. Um, our go-to is we add about a half a cup of uh, hazelnut flour to our chocolate chip cookie dough recipe. And when that, um, when you open that oven when they're ready, that smell, that aroma of the hazelnuts coming out of that oven is just amazing. Like the kids just descend from all over the house <laughs> and eat those. So that's number one. Number two is my sort of go-to trail mix, and I actually make a bar out of it too, is, is the combination of chocolates, sorry, chocolate, dark chocolate, hazelnuts and dried cranberries it's really good actually you don't see it very often but that that's good um and then really the third use is or the third part that i like is the spiced maple uh hazelnut snacker that the american hazelnut company makes I and mean, if i could i'd eat that stuff all day it's just got that right mix of spice with that sweetness of the maple with that you know that that good nutty flavor coming from the hazelnut so so those are my three favorites and I'm looking right now at this huge collection of recipes on the American Hazelnut Company website. A few of them jumping out at me. Hazelnut pesto, which seems like an easy uh, way to to incorporate these. Um, easy substitution. Nice to have something local rather than pine nuts, which uh, it's hard for me to find pine nuts that don't come from China these days. Um, so, yeah, all kinds of great stuff here. Desserts. Um, ways to use that hazelnut oil, snacks like uh, Jason was talking about, sweets. Um, so a whole suite of ideas on that American Hazelnut Company website. Um, so thanks again for the question, Patty. Uh, I'm glad we didn't uh, forget here to talk about uh, the recipes and the options for for using hazelnuts. And I'm going to turn it back to you, Sarah, to talk a little bit more about Pledge Drive and appreciate folks and encourage folks again to support what we're doing here on The Public Affair. Yes, well... Another donation coming in. We've got one on the web. So thank you to Jonas for showing some love here to WORT. We appreciate you um, tuning into this show and other of our talk shows like Madison Bookbeat, which is up next. We'll hear from some local authors um, and for Patty for calling in with her donation. Hope um, you find some good recipes on there. I am definitely going to go check some out. This is the beauty of WORT. We learn so much. <laughs> it's true. We learn so much. Um, and we're going to keep learning here as we talk to Jason and Paul. 
Jason Fischbach and Paul Ronsheim about this innovative new crop here in Wisconsin and in the upper Midwest that comes from the Midwest, crossed with the European uh, hazelnut tree, but there are native hazelnuts that they are working to make commercially viable crops, and it's the kind of story we try to highlight here on A Public Affair. Uh, I think it was last month I was talking with the editor of the online magazine Reasons to be Cheerful, and I would definitely count hazelnuts as a reason to be cheerful kind of story. Um, I try to highlight here on A Public Affair what's called solutions journalism, and there is no better example really than hazelnuts. And what I really love about a story like this or an issue like this is what seems on the surface, maybe something fun and light actually connects in so many different ways to so many things that so many of us care about, whether that be food, climate change, biodiversity, what's happening to our local landscapes and communities. Uh, and here we have a solution happening right here in Wisconsin that I love to be able to highlight. So the number to call and support us is 608-256-2001, extension 1, or you can make your donation online at www.wortfm.com. Dot O-R-G, and that orange banner there on the website. Yeah, be the caller or the web donation that helps us reach our goal this hour. So you can help support uh, programming that is solutions driven, that is local, that suits your needs. Um, yeah, help us reach that goal this hour. Be the call. Absolutely. It's exciting. We're almost there, Sarah. Um, and in this last 10 minutes here, if you have a question you want to call in, uh, you're welcome to join the conversation, 608-256-2001, extension 9, extension 1, if you're making a donation, or you can just slip that question in or comment when you call in with your donation. In our last 10 minutes here, I want to turn it back to extension scientist uh, Jason Fishbach, and uh, we're just talking about solutions, Jason. And you've been really involved in creating this climate and agricultural solution for a long time now and collaborating with folks all across the state. That's another thing we try to talk about here a lot on A Public Affair is the value of collaboration. And tell us about some of these collaborations and what you've learned from them, Every, everywhere from Northland College up north in Ashland to folks like Paul down here, down in southern Wisconsin. Yeah, I'd say by far this is the, the most rewarding part of this project is that this is really a grassroots effort with many, many different people involved at many different levels, right? So, and there's a reason why that has to happen. Um, if you think about, you know, our dominant agricultural systems, corn, soybeans, alfalfa, dairy, beef, I think of it sort of as the flywheel. A flywheel is this big wheel on a baler that's really heavy. It gets tons of momentum and inertia. And so our crops, as they should, they get tons of attention from funders, policymakers, everybody else. And so it's really, really hard to pull off a little bit of those resources, even just a little bit, to invest in new crop development. Even when we know that new crop development offers so many opportunities economically and solutions to environmental problems like hazelnuts, right? So we we try to move as much away or a little bit as we can. And we've been successful with some of our public partners, the federal government, the state government, that cap, right? But really, this has been built by uh, individuals and nonprofits. And, you know, for example, um, Paul with the American Hazelnut Company and the whole grower network, taking the risk to grow out this early experimental germplasm uh, really set the stage to allow us to develop improved 
uh, genetics, right? Without their work, it, it wouldn't have happened. And then now that we're, we have some, some new and interesting genotypes, like how do we build this industry from scratch? Because we don't have a nut economy in in Wisconsin, there's nowhere for growers to take their nuts to get processed, right? So we've had to build that too. So that's where Northland College, um, Savannah Institute, uh, Regenerative Agricultural Alliance and other nonprofit organizations, we've all come together and we're building our own processing line up in Ashland uh, at Northland College that's you know subsidized by all of our partners to make, a, make it a reality. Um, so everywhere you look in the industry, uh, we have you know five, six nurseries collaborating um on trying to figure out how to get this stuff propagated and there's opportunities just for folks living in town or that don't have anything to do with agriculture to support it we have our hazelnut development fund through our website midwesthazelnuts.org that folks can contribute to to help to help make a difference even contributing to radio shows or anybody that's trying to help spread the word about this new approach to agriculture you know helping them out helps helps everybody try to again move the needle and try to get this new crop development and innovative approach to solving our problems going right we made good progress but um there's still long ways to go i'm glad you mentioned uh northland college there and the the food center which i actually had the opportunity to visit um there last fall and one of the really amazing things to see there as an educator myself was to see the ways that students have been involved in not only learning about a new crop like hazelnuts that some of them are going to go off and and be farmers or be involved in the food system and can incorporate in their work but also learning about how to do marketing through uh developing this hazelnut crop for the American Hazelnut Company. Can you tell us a little bit more about that, Jason, and, and how students were able to contribute to this process? Yeah, Danny Simpson and his crew there at the Food Center are just invaluable for our region. Um, they're really bringing a spirit of innovation and hands-on um, development to, to solving these problems by creating great food products uh, and then developing the tools to get out there and market it. So the actually maple spice hazelnut, the one that I like so much that is part of the hazelnut company now originated from Northland College's uh, programming, um, and that's just sort of the tip of the iceberg uh, of the stuff that they're doing at that that campus. And the support that they've shown us for the hazelnut processing line, you know, it's just been so invaluable to making making everything go. So, yeah, they're, I hope they continue on. They're doing great work around food innovation. Absolutely. Um, thanks for, for shedding some light on that, Jason. We had a caller just uh, call in a minute ago and ask to clarify, to highlight which species uh, you're talking about specifically. I believe the, the genus is Carius. Is that right, Jason? Cor Coralis. Coralis, sorry. Yep. yep. Okay. Uh, there's, yeah. there's two in Wisconsin. There's American hazelnut and beaked hazelnut. Um, and then... Uh, European hazelnut is native to Europe, but it's also grown in Washington State and Oregon, where the climate is more suitable uh, for European hazelnut. So again, the one uh, that you have developed here for Wisconsin is Coralis. It's Americana that's been crossed okay. with, with European. Yeah, so American okay. by European crosses. Yep. But what's interesting is that's that's partly by chance because most of what our original growers like Paul have been growing are these hybrids that came from private breeders. And it, germplasm improvement takes a long, long time, especially for hazelnuts as a woody crop. So we've started a program that's looking just at pure American hazelnut, which is our native species, because we know there's interest from growers and consumers that for something beyond the hybrids, right? But 
but we're about you know five to ten years behind where we are with the hybrids so that's why sort of hybrids have come first and then americana pure americana will come come later it's fun though because you know there's hundreds of thousands of acres of pure american hazelnut out there no one's ever looked at them totally ignored them until the last 10 15 years that we've been able to get out there and look for high performing plants and then once you find a plant you've got to verify that it's good by making copies of it and growing it at multiple locations for a decade <laughs> that's why it takes so long to do this work yeah it's a, a long-term process but a process we are all grateful to both of you for shedding some light on today here on a public affair my name is Douglas Haynes. I'm your Monday host, and I've been talking with Jason Fishbach and Paul Ronsheim about the growing and eating of hazelnuts here in the upper Midwest. Um, Jason Fishbach is an Emerging Crops Outreach Specialist with UW-Madison Division of Extension. Thanks so much for joining us, Jason. Sure. Thank you. And Paul Ronsheim is the owner of Blue Mounds Hazelnuts in Barneveld, Wisconsin. Thank you for being with us, Paul. Sure. Try the oil on popcorn it's a killer application great i'm, I'm gonna try that out we have a popcorn loving household at my house and i know there are lots of other popcorn lovers out there thank you for that idea paul and that uh brings us nearly to the end here sarah gabler sarah gabler is here with me in the studio talking about what we do here at a public affair um sarah bring us out here what have you learned today and what are you excited about um sharing in terms of the work of wrt in general as a last word here yeah today. i know i'm gonna go make some popcorn yeah <laughs> and i'm so grateful for the opportunity to learn a bit more about wisconsin agriculture what makes it special here what innovations are happening that are going to help mitigate climate change for the future that's the kind of thing that you can hear on a public affair um, if you want to call in, you still have time. You can give us a call. Show us some support. Show support for the kinds of stories that you get to hear from, from folks like Jason and Paul. The number is 608-256-2001, extension 1, or WORT.org. Click that orange button. So I got a question for you, Sarah. Um, there are so many great shows on WORT. Um, what show would you miss the most, other than this one, of course, if Wart went off the air? We've talked a lot about a public affair, but uh, what show is just like near and dear to you? Yeah, well, that's six o'clock news. I would miss that. I would miss it as well. It is my go-to place for getting local info. And there are so many great reporters like you, Sarah, out there, um, not only going to meetings, but doing things like wading into Starkweather Creek. Uh, we don't have time, unfortunately, to get the whole story on your recent story about Salt and Madison. But that's the kind of work that you can support yep. by calling in and supporting uh, WORT Community Radio here in Madison, 608-256-2001, extension 1. You can still make a donation now or donate online at www.wortfm.org to uh, show your love for a public affair. And, of course, everyone here at uh, WRT, we appreciate you very much. And I'm going to thank our engineer today, Andrew Thomas, our producer, Jade Isiri Ramos, news director, Shali Pittman, and receptionist, Amy Lutsky. And thank you, listeners, for joining us today on A Public Affair here at WORT 89.9 FM, Madison. Stay tuned for Madison Bookbeat on today's show. Host Lisa Malaski is in conversation with Jacqueline Machard about her latest book, A Very Inconvenient Scandal. Six of us.